Amen. Okay, so today, the title of our, of our lesson is Models to Mimic. Models to Mimic. And we're in the book of Philippians. It's chapter two. It's gonna be verses 19 to 30. And just right off the bat, I wanna to give us our theme, okay? Our theme is how selfless servants bring joy to the church and spur us on to Christ-likeness. How selfless servants bring joy to the church and spur us on to Christ-likeness. We're in Philippians and the theme of Philippians is basics of Christian living. And we see many basics in this short epistle, everything from you hear the gospel to the exhortations of what it looks like for the believer to be a giving believer. Everything from humility to thankfulness, everything from prayer to rejoicing, from suffering to glory. And we see another basic of Christianity tucked away in this little epistle, and that is one of modeling Christ-likeness. Modeling Christ-likeness. And we see this all throughout, really, the whole of chapter two, and I think you'll see that here in a moment. But real quickly, what is a role model? What is a role model? I think we all know what a role model is. It's someone you look up to and someone you want to imitate. Everyone has a role model. Um, when I was a youth, my role model was uh, He-Man and Hulk Hogan, that's right, yep, mm-hmm, yep, and, uh, and the Karate Kid. I would say those are my top three role models <clears throat> in my youth um, up until I was saved. <laughs> and then my role models changed. Every one of us ha- has had and should have a role model. There are good role models, there are bad role models. And in our text today, we find two excellent men to imitate. Now, this text at first glance might seem not too exciting, but if you focus on the historical and spiritual reality of their lives, you will be amazed and will want to imitate Timothy and Epaphroditus. Why? Because they follow Christ and because they have cultivated the same attitude as Christ. But briefly, and real briefly, just the setting of where we are. Paul is in prison at Rome. Got the picture? Paul is in prison at Rome with an imperial guard watching over him day and night. We see that in chapter one, verse 13 of Philippians. And we see also that Timothy is with Paul in chapter one, verse one of Philippians. And Paul is longing, as we see here in this text, to hear about the church at Philippi and how they are doing. And we see, we're gonna see here in a moment, that Epaphroditus is a member of the Philippian church, perhaps a deacon, perhaps an elder, and he has traveled a long, long way to Philippi, from Philippi to Rome, in order to see Paul and deliver gifts that the Philippians have sent for Paul to refresh both his body and soul while in prison. And so with that as our backdrop, let's read Philippians 2, 19 to 30. Here is the word of God. The apostle Paul says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not for those of Jesus Christ. But you know of his proven worth, 
that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. So with that text in mind, we circle back around to observe the first model to mimic, and that is Timothy. Timothy, a selfless servant. We see this in verses 19 to 24. Young Timothy, after being taught the Old Testament from his mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois, was probably saved under Paul's ministry in Rome on his first missionary journey. And when Paul returned back to Rome, Timothy ministered alongside him from that point on. So Timothy basically became the Apostle Paul's sidekick. Paul, after he often sent him, Timothy, to churches as his representative. Timothy was a great friend, disciple, and co-laborer with Paul. And in Acts 16.2, Luke says of Timothy that he was well spoken of. He was well spoken of. Paul mentions in first and second Timothy over and over again, Timothy's sincere faith and godliness. His sincere faith and godliness. So whenever we find Paul talking about Timothy, we hear that he is a committed, unselfish servant. So much so that in chapter two, verse 22, Paul says he's like a child serving his father. <laughs> and in our text, how do we see this? How do we see Timothy being this selfless servant of the Lord? Well, we see in verses 19 to 20, letter A, his true concern for others. In verse 19, we see Paul planning by the will of God to send Timothy to the church so that he can hear how they are doing. And please just keep in mind the reality of context here in first century living, right? You're sending one many, many, many miles to see how the church is doing. It's not like an easy text message or email to check up on how your congregation is doing. Here indeed is the love of a pastor's heart and the willing sacrifice also of Timothy to receive this possible get ready and go and see how they're doing mission to go on this long journey after Timothy, after helping Paul in prison. So for, for what purpose is this very long journey that he's getting ready to send Timothy on? Well, we see it in the text. It's to take Paul's letter to the church at Philippi so that they could be refreshed by the gospel and gospel messengers from their very own church. One of them being Epaphroditus. And we'll get to him in a moment. 
But this is proof of genuine concern for God's people, Timothy's willingness to do such. Young Timothy had a true concern for the church just as Paul had, and we see that in verse 20. Look at in verse 20, it says, he is of kindred spirit together with me. <laughs> kindred spirit, thus the same heartbeat, in love for Christ and the furtherance of the gospel. But not all in gospel ministry are like Timothy. And this brings us sadly and briefly to verse 21. Letter B, his interests are Christ's interests. Timothy's interests are Christ's interests. But verse 21, Paul says, they all, they all. What, what, what a comprehensive statement there. <laughs> they all. Christians and even leaders in the church were abandoning Paul. And we see this in 2 Timothy 1.15. He mentions some even specifically by name after he says, all in Asia have left me. <laughs> and, and the purpose and the drive for furthering the gospel. All have left me. And then he gives some specifics in 2 Timothy 1.15, Phygelus and Hermogenes. And then you go further into the, to 2 Timothy in chapter four, we see Demas who has loved this present world and has abandoned Paul. And then we see those like John Mark who also abandoned, but then there was restoration as well with John Mark. But here he says, they've all left. And, and the text is so plain and clear here. Look, why were they not wanting to be with Paul or be associated with him? What does verse 21 say? They were seeking their own interests. They were seeking their own purposes. That's so polar opposite of what Paul said in Philippians 2.4, just backing up a few verses, right? We are to be interested in the interests of others. And we know what Paul's interest was, purely on Christ and the gospel. And they knew that. And so sad to say, many leaders in the church serve the Lord with wrong motives. And, and Paul discovered that over and over again in his ministry. Listen to Philippians 1, 15 to 17. Just back up a page in your Bible. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to even cause me distress in my imprisonment but not Timothy, <laughs> not Timothy. He's not sold out to the world. He's not sold out to even his own interests or purposes. He's sold out for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what has won his soul. And so therefore he is one sold with the apostle Paul. And we see that plainly in verse 20. So since Paul was unified and of kindred spirit with Paul in love and care for the church, this proves that his interests are Christ's interests. His love is Christ's love for his people. You remember what Jesus said to Peter. If you love me, you will feed my sheep. Timothy wanted to feed the sheep. And unlike those who deserted Paul, Timothy was proving all along his character. 
Timothy has proven character. So Paul goes on to speak of Timothy's proven character. Verse 22, Timothy served with Paul in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. In other words, right beside him, right beside him constantly, faithfully. And in ancient times, the son always served in the same work as their father, didn't they? Carpentry, masonry, farm work. (laughs) And in 1 Corinthians 4.17, Paul calls Timothy his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. This is precious. And it drives us to be servants of Christ for the furtherance of the gospel. And let me ask us this morning, do, do you want to serve the Lord with your life? Do you want to serve the Lord with your life? Then listen carefully. Those who help you serve best are those who help you serve Christ in the labor of love in gospel ministry. Those who help you live best are those who help you live unto the Lord in attitude, in thought, in word, and deed. And if we get nothing from this short first hour of equip this morning, please get Psalm 101 verse six stuck in your head. Because this, this is what should drive us to to want to mimic these sorts of models. Psalm 101 verse six, David clearly states it this way, he says, Who's the one who serves me and serving the Lord and how this is all connected and how am I driven to Christ-like ministry and to a Christ-like life? This is, you could boil it down to this verse right here. Psalm 101 verse six. He who walks in the blameless way is the one who will minister to me. That's the one who serves me. When I see a brother or sister in Christ walking a blameless life, no, not perfect, a blameless life above reproach, that woman, that man, that's the one who ministers to me. They almost don't even have to speak a word to me. (laughs) He, she ministers to me. Psalm 101 verse six, he who walks in a blameless way, that's the one who serves me. That's the one who ministers to me. And in seeing that and observing that model to mimic, that becomes contagious for you and I to drive us on to be pure servants of the Lord in the work of gospel ministry. Surround yourself with the Pauls and Timothys of the church today who have, as we've seen already, the proven character of a blameless life and faithful service in spreading the good news of Jesus Christ both in lip and life. And the two must go together. So Paul then transitions from Timothy, his first travel agent that he was preparing to go back to Philippi to see how they were doing, to let them know how he was doing. Then he transitions to Epaphroditus, our second travel agent. And he was also with Paul, as we see here. If you go to chapter four, verse 18, you'll see it. You'll see that Epaphroditus was there with Paul 
and Timothy in Rome. And so that brings us to Epaphroditus, a loving, suffering servant, verses 25 to 30. His name literally means loving one. And it, it comes, you probably hear the word Aphrodite in there because of, of, of that familiarity and, and the pagan world in which they were growing up in. And um, even though he keeps this word that has similar to that, it, having to do with love, it means loving one, Epaphroditus. And so even though it might be associated with that goddess, that godless goddess, <laughs> yet this one has been redeemed. He has been redeemed for the Lord Jesus Christ in gospel ministry here. And look at just real briefly in verse 25, look at the five descriptions that Paul gives Epaphroditus. Do you see that? Someone just lists those five descriptions. What are those five descriptions that Paul mentions of Epaphroditus? What are they? Brother. Yes. Fellow worker. Soldier. What else? Messenger. Minister. Exactly. These are huge. These are huge, okay? <laughs> the, the obscure Christian, well, first of all, it's letter B is, is what we're on if, in case you're, you're lost. His longing for the church and his distress we see here. And because of those descriptions, it's evident that he is longing for the church and we will see his distress here. This obscure Christian loves his home church and it's evident here. I mean, he's basically homesick. He wants to be back in fellowship with them. This is his great desire. He longed, verse 26, he longed to be with them. Kind of like how you and I long to be with each other, right? I mean, don't you long for the, for the women's ministry to get together, the men's ministry or, or, or the body of Christ on the Lord's day to, to gather together, to see one another face to face. How much more can you imagine a brother in Christ with his home church wanting to be face to face and be back in sweet fellowship with his church? He longed to be with them. And, and our text then says he was distressed. He was distressed. He labored on Paul's behalf until his own health broke. <laughs> and even when he was sick, Epaphroditus, it's amazing, it seems as though he took no thought of himself. Rather, in our text, we see that he was distressed because his church had heard of his illness <laughs> and he didn't want them to worry. <laughs> like that's, I mean, what a loving, selfless, suffering at this time, servant of Christ. I, I think to myself, if I were Epaphroditus on my sickbed, basically here on, on, my, on your deathbed, um, I'd be complaining and worrying only about myself <laughs> and my sickness. But we don't see that in the text here. We don't see it. And just think of it, why was he sick? There's a ton of reasons why he was probably sick. I just think about that long journey that he took from Philippi all the way to Rome. And that journey, as you cross down the boot of, of Italy, across the, the Aegean and Ionian Sea and Greece, and you come up through Thessalonica and there's Philippi, that's 800 miles. 800 miles. It's about a 40-ish day journey. Now, ultimately, we don't know exactly why he was sick, but what we do know 
is he was Paul's helper in gospel work, even looking after Paul's comfort during the time that he was there, bringing the care package that the Philippian church had given for him and the Philippians gifts to Paul was a fragrant aroma to him through the kind hands of Epaphroditus who made such a journey, incredible. And you see the Roman prison system didn't give prisoners meals or provide them with a clean, safe place. You realize that, right? (laughs) In ancient Rome, only friends or family cared for prisoners or they would go hungry and live in increasingly harmful quarters. So think of what Epaphroditus did here in undertaking the lowest job out of love for the church and this kind of love equals love for Christ and therefore it's Christ-like love. Think of 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. There's the gospel. What's gospel application? The last part of the verse. And we ought to lay down our, cell, our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3.16. We can confidently say because of Epaphroditus' loving sacrifice for Paul, for the church, that his sickness was for the glory of God because it displayed the mercy of God in this historical account. How do we see that? We see that next, his sickness and God's mercy in verse 27. How sick was he? Does our text tell us? How sick was he? To the point of what? Death. (laughs) This is crazy. But God had mercy on both Epaphroditus and Paul. We don't know how long he was with Paul, but being on his deathbed and then being restored to health enough to travel another 800 miles is just a glimpse of the mercy of God. Just a glimpse. Epaphroditus' restored health by the mercy of God brings us to Paul's eager heart to send him back, which brings us to letter D, the church's joy and honor of Epaphroditus, verses 28 to 30. Paul here in this text is looking out for the joy of the church and the rightful honor of a servant of Christ. The church sent Epaphroditus as a gift to Paul and now Paul is gifting him back to the church. No wonder we have the command of verse 29. What is the command of verse 29? Hold men like him in high regard. (laughs) Why? I think it's obvious. Because of the utter selfless work that he does for God's people in verse 30. This word regard means to consider as valuable, precious, honored. We are to hold all servants of Christ in high regard, high regard, to hold up pastors and teachers and and all who serve in the body of Christ by thinking rightly and lovingly about them, thanking God for them, praying for them. Two key passages for, for holding servants of Christ in high regards. Hebrews 13, verse seven. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. In other words, they establish a pattern of faith for us to follow that is grounded in ultimately the truth. 
ultimately the truth, okay? How important is this? Considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. They establish that pattern of faith for us to follow that's grounded in the truth, not in their imperfect life, but in the truth. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13. Appreciate. You know, I I didn't come to appreciate that word appreciate until I moved to Texas. (laughs) I I, I tended to to hear that word a lot here. and it's growing on me and I'm getting, and I'm understanding more and more what that means and what that looks like. When someone says they appreciate something, it's not flippant. The text says, appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So dear church, who do you hold in high regard? Who, who do you highly esteem? This brings us back to the role model question that we began with. Who do you look up to? Who do you hold in high in your mind? What models do you have to mimic? Because we're mimicking somebody, aren't we? We're mimicking someone, some way. And how do we clean and clear all of this up? If we're worried about, oh, who, I should, who should I follow? Who, who should be my, my number one or my top two models to mimic? Well, Paul clears it up for us in 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. You remember what he said. He said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I'm sure there were things in the apostle Paul's life that even the believer... <laughs> should not mimic, right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. He is our standard. He is our goal. And we see Timothy and Epaphroditus, the fact that they imitated Christ as they suffered and served for his name's sake. And just think about this briefly, just as a side note, if, if it wasn't for people like Timothy and especially Epaphroditus here, we wouldn't have this letter. By the, by the sovereignty and the providence of God, we wouldn't have the letter of Philippians so that we could know and understand what the basics of Christianity are. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, I, I honestly, I don't think we realize how much we draw from and we utilize the book of Philippians unbeknownst to yourself as you quote it or as you're thinking, do not be anxious about anything, but in prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Like we don't even think of where these are coming from. <laughs> these basics of Christianity. Paul used these selfless servants, these models to mimic Timothy and Epaphroditus to bring to us this sweet letter that I know all of us love. So as we start to wrap up our time this morning, a couple of application points. Number one, indeed, give honor to where honor is due. Give honor where honor is due. Is due. And just as a quick side note on that, I know we were talking a lot about these, these uh, in the, the previous passages in Hebrews and in 1 Thessalonians of, of honoring uh, teachers of the word, ministers of the word, those who are full-time in gospel ministry. But just as a side note, Romans 12, 10, 
The Apostle Paul tells us we are to be giving preference to one another in honor. (laughs) Give preference to one another in honor. This applies to all brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, the world honors those who are intelligent and beautiful and rich and powerful. What kind of people should the church honor? Well, Epaphroditus was called a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, and a messenger. And these are the emblems of honor. Those are the emblems of honor. Paul indicates that we should honor those who risk their lives for the sake of Christ and the care of others going where we cannot go ourselves. And this would perhaps make us think of what a missionary he was and our our missionaries that we are to be supporting, what they do for us today by providing ministry where we are not able to go. And as far as giving honor to where honor is due, what does that look like? That can look like a text message, that can look like an email, that can look like a visit. We know what that looks like. Are we doing it? Are we giving honor? Are we going out of our way to show honor to where honor is due? Even as Paul told us in verse 29 of our text this morning, hold men like him in high regard. And application point two, cultivate a servant's heart cultivate a servant's heart. In other words, you know what that basically means in layman's terms? Uh, Do hard things. (laughs) Do hard things. And and you know the reward of doing hard things, especially as it is unto the Lord. And and think of this too. Paul, being a servant himself, didn't lord his position over Timothy and Epaphroditus being an apostle himself, did he? Rather, what do we see according to our text? And even in Romans 16, for brothers and sisters in Christ, he lifted them up. He honored, he commended them. Cultivate a servant's heart. (laughs) What What do you wanna be known as? In the body of Christ and in all of life. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4.1. Let a man regard us, and he's speaking of the apostles here. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ. You know what that word servant basically is in the Greek? It's under rower. It it, it means one who comes under, and it was even used of those in, in first century ships where they would be rowing. Those who were in sync and going to the beat of the leader's drum so that they could keep going. An under rower, not seen, but doing the work of ministry. One who comes under Christ and serves Christ so that Christ is seen. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and then he says to end his sentence, stewards of the mysteries of God. We're a steward of the mysteries of God, of his grace, of his mercy, of his holiness, of his power. Cultivating a servant's heart means we have to have this attitude, first of all. We have to be cultivating that attitude. And how do we do that? Well, Mark 10, 45. 
Our savior did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, period. He's our role model. This is the one. And therefore every Christian is a blood-bought servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And being a servant of Christ is not an option for the Christian. It is the calling of every believer. And because we all daily struggle with selfishness, we must cultivate the heart of a servant by beholding the servant of servants who is the king of kings. I love what Steve Lawson said one time. He said, he said you're a servant of the Lord, then don't stoop to being a king. Don't stoop to being a king. You're a servant of the Lord. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, illustrate men who had servants' hearts because their attitudes and actions aimed only at Christ and his glory. So watch for opportunities to serve the Lord by helpful deeds toward others. And, and this always requires the sacrifice of our time and our dying to self and putting others ahead of ourselves and going out of our way to serve others is serving the Lord. What ways can that be added to our lives this morning? Think about that. Think about that as we seek to apply these two truths of giving honor to where honor's due and cultivating a servant's heart in pointing others to no one less than the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. May the Lord through refinement and sanctification in all of our lives melt away the dross, the dross of whatever it may be in our lives of if our personality is offsetting or if our quirks are offsetting or if whatever it is, may the Lord melt that continually, continually. May we not use excuses to say, yeah, I'm this, I'm, I'm wired this way. We're all wired different ways, but how you are as a brother and sister in Christ, God has given to you the gift of service. He indeed has. Whether it's in speaking or physically serving, in one or both ways, he has. And the dross of everything else needs to melt off so that we are nothing but arrows that point one another to the Lord Jesus Christ. He deserves the exaltation. He is to be magnified in, in life and lip. Through all of our struggles, through all of our, especially how about this one, being a, a role model of repentance. And we all need to be a role model of repentance, don't we? Fathers, mothers, <laughs> brothers, sisters here this morning. And in being that role model of repentance and in laying our lives down for one another, we'll be continually in life and lip pointing one another to Christ and the glories to come. May God be glorified in the models that we choose to mimic this side of heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of, of what we've just studied of, of Timothy and Epaphroditus and your love, Lord, for the church and as it as we see even Timothy and Epaphroditus being just 
wonderful examples of what you said in the beginning of chapter two of this is what humility looks like, this is what a servant's heart looks like and, and the ultimate example being you, Jesus, the son of man who did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped but you took on the form of a slave and you went to the cross. That ultimate service to God, that ultimate humility in order to redeem us. Lord, how much more should we be joyfully seeking out opportunities to serve you in the furtherance of the gospel and all of life and ministry? Lord, I think even previous in, in, in the the chapter of Philippians 2 of how you commanded us to not grumble or complain and, and we don't see any of that in Timothy or, or Epaphroditus. Lord, thank you for these examples. Thank you for these models to mimic. Help us to walk in your footsteps in, in the template and the stencil that you have given to us of your love and your kindness. Would you be exalted today in the hearing of your word in the next hour? as we study Psalm 139 together, of how awesome you are, Lord, may we lift our voices like we never have before because we are one day closer to spending eternity with you and all of your people in the glories of heaven. Grant comfort, Lord, to the suffering here this morning. May we come alongside one another and bear one another's burdens with joy, knowing that we are one day closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.